along with Tyler Mustache Burton and Corbin Bolson. Today is August 2nd, uh, so that means we are two days away from the start of fall camp. And are you guys uh, you guys ready for some football finally? Two days away from fall camp, 32 days away from the home opener, 29 days away from the official start of college football on a Thursday night. Yes, I am excited, Adam. It's finally here. The offseason is over. We had local media today going on in Norman, and yeah, I I can't wait. Guys are about to get after it the next couple days. Uh, Football season's here, man. Yeah, are you super excited? The the week zero games there, Tyler. You just totally have to. uh, yeah, I, week zero games. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, so yeah, 20, 23-24. I don't know. My my official start of the football season, I guess it's that Thursday night uh, OSU kind of kicks things off. Um so that'll be that'll be a good one. Uh, Corbin, I I I know that, you know, for listeners that aren't watching it on the video, I've got to see it. I I, I don't actually what? believe it. I figured that there would have been some some type of um, you know, mass message or whether it was a tweet that was sent out. Did the trophy actually arrive in Aurora? It arrived, but I'm not giving you the enjoyment of seeing like, oh, that you finally did your job. Like, I have it. It's all it needs to be said. Can you, where is it located in the house? <laughs> in my kitchen. That's what I want to know. In your kitchen. Kids, okay. Yeah. My uh, my fiance's kids keep asking me which football game I won. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah. So, sorry yeah. it took till July, but we got to well, I'm your so. biggest fan this upcoming year for beers and bets. I, I hope you win. <laughs> genuinely. You yeah, I thought about just, just keep it in a... the box because I I plan on winning, so you can just keep it in the box and you know it'll be a couple weeks. I, and you'll be able I almost to just put a return to sender slip uh, in, in the box, so that way you've but packaging and everything's already taken care of. You can just ship that thing out here in the next four months. Oh, it won't be four months. I promise you that you will receive it a year to date from when I got it. So if it's Adam, <laughs> it'll be on time. Adam, early January. Tyler, is. if you win, yeah, ain't happening, dude. Nice. It may get nice. lost in the move. So yeah. <laughs> I, I figured something will come up. Adam, kick uh-huh. us off, man. What do we got tonight? Yeah. Well, here we stand Tuesday, um, you know, a week after last week's podcast and a name that was not mentioned pretty much at all has committed after a big recruiting weekend in Colton Bosick, the uh, edge rusher out of Westlake uh, High School in Austin, Texas, a guy that comes from Texas bloodlines. His dad played for the Longhorns back in the 90s. And yet here we stand. I don't think he was in in on anybody's radar, but he's committed to the Sooners. It's amazing guys. Um, just the, the smoke coming out of last weekend's visits is really unbelievable. Um, we haven't recruited. Well, if everything falls in line, the dominoes continue, uh, and the people who we expect to commit to the Sooners commit to the Sooners. I mean, we haven't recruited defensively like this since I honestly don't know if I could tell you, I wasn't following recruiting at that time, whenever the year was, mm-hmm. I can tell you that. So um, it's, it's remarkable what's going down and there was not everything we had heard about Colton Vasek is that kind of conversations had split. Two parties were going separate, separate ways for no negative reason. And all of a sudden he gets around Venables and Chavis and company and commits mm-hmm. on the spot. Basically it's pretty amazing what these guys did last weekend. Yeah, for the longest time, it kind of felt like it was down to Texas and Oregon for this kid. And he wasn't even on the visitors list uh, to show up to a party at the Palace over the weekend. And lo and behold, he shows up on a Friday. And next thing you know, um, social media is kind of going crazy on a Sunday that this kid, not only did he show up, not only did he have a good time, but there's a chance that he might have actually committed. And then lo and behold, yesterday at 3 p.m., he does decide to pull the trigger and become 
the, I believe it was the 10th commitment in the last five weeks uh, for Brent Venables in this chosen 2023 class. So no, you hit the nail on the head, Adam. I mean, the the fact that this staff was able to go into Austin to take on a a Rivals 100 kid, a kid that's going to end up being a Rivals 100 kid, uh, out of Austin, coming from a family where the dad played at Texas. He coaches high school football just a few miles from the University of Texas campus. Fantastic job by Miguel Chavis, Brent Venables. I know it's a complete, a complete team effort, Todd Bates as well. Um, but I, it, I think that, that just that's the cherry on the top of what this staff has been able to do over the last five to six weeks, and I can't wait to see where it's going to go from here. Yeah, not only were all odds against OU in this race, um, yeah, it's just amazing what they were able to pull out here. It's it's amazing that this kid that has every single reason in the world to go to Texas, and yet he just can't say no to Miguel Chavis. He can't say no to Brent Venables, and he can't say no to what's being built here in Norman, um, which I think is pretty exciting. And um, you know, OU fans have a lot to be excited about. It's not just that you know the odds were against us here in this particular race, but um, Colton Vosick is a really good player. Like if you look yes. at his film, I. I I've kind of been on record as saying this, especially with like your offensive players, every single highlight on those films is usually, you know, a long touchdown. They're just, they're running zigzagging all over the field because they're in high school and they're fashion everybody. Colton Vosick looks, he, he kind of stands out in my opinion, as far as what his film is. He's so long. His closing speed is, is like that. You see so many times where quarterbacks think they have time to maybe get out of his way and they just don't have it. So um, he's one that, that makes me pretty excited for what he could bring to uh, to the Sooners defense as they improve quickly. Yeah, it's it's almost like you can tell that his coach, and by his coach I mean his dad, played that position at a high level. So, like you said, Adam, when you turn on the tape and you see, um, you know, not just a high motor with this kid, you see the athleticism, you see the long frame, you know, 6'4", 225 pounds, but you see the technique and you see that he, the moves that he has, you know, in pass rush coming off of the ball. So I think that this is a kid, you know, uh, many, many experts have kind of predicted that this guy has the frame to be able to add maybe another 30 to 40 pounds. So if you're Jerry Schmidt, you see this kid coming in, you know, next season, you know, ultimately if Oklahoma ends up signing this guy, um, you're licking your chops at the possibility of what this kid can become, um, you know, during his three to four years in Norman. Um, so, yeah, it, fantastic pickup by this staff and, that kind of leads us to the next one, Adam. Another big boy up front uh, that OU was able to get their hands on. Yeah, Derek LeBlanc committed last Thursday and almost completely got forgotten about because of the uh, recruiting weekend that OU had. Uh, there's a lot of guys that I think people think are silently committed, but Derek LeBlanc in his old, own right, another four-star, another highly ranked guy among uh, many services out there committed to OU from the Orlando area. So there's OU going into another territory where – uh, we don't typically get, especially defensive guys, um, but pulling a, a guy that's pretty highly ranked out there. As far as like my opinion of him, and I'm I'm no expert evaluator by any means. I could be completely wrong here. To me, he looks like a guy that slides more into that defensive tackle position, uh, maybe more like a Jalen Redmond type of role. Um, he just he seems a little slower, um, but um, a lot of people love his film. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of very similar um, to Vasic in terms of, you know, he plays with the high motors, great with his hands, plays a little high, um, just, you know, uh, watching his huddle, his huddle tape. But that's technique work. Um, Todd Bass is going to be able to correct um, early and often. Uh, but, you know, guys, the, these are the kind of players that uh, Oklahoma is going to have to have up front as they make the transition into the SEC. You know, with the old staff, this is kind of the craziest part about this entire thing, with the old staff, just re- hit the rewind button, go all the way back to a year ago. 
there's no chance in hell OU would have been a player in this guy's recruitment. So that that's the biggest difference to me with this new staff. Venables, Bates, Chavis, who has turned out to be an absolute rock star. You know, we could probably spend an entire segment talking about the Miguel Chavis effect during his time, you know, the short eight months here in Norman. Um, they can go into a living room in America and put us into into contention with any elite defensive prospect. Um, and Derek LeBron, LeBlanc becoming a part of this class uh, is just more proof of that. Yeah, it's really showing the Clemson roots of the defensive side, especially the staff here in Norman. Um, they were recruiting these areas previously. Uh, the roots down into Florida and down in the southeast was heavy Clemson ground. They were competing competing for these recruits just like any SEC team would. So we're starting to see that pay off. And as you mentioned, Tyler, as we head into the SEC, I can only prove vital that there's already roots sank in the southeastern conference states. So uh, good things to come, hopefully, down the stretch. Yeah, speaking of Clemson, they're basically neck and neck with OU in pretty much every rankings that you look at. It's usually like six Clemson, seven OU, or vice versa, which I just think is interesting. That, that wasn't something we had on our agenda. I don't know if we want to get into it necessarily, but everyone flinging mud at Brent Venables at this point saying, oh, he has a different you know strategy around, oh, when you're committed, you're not taking visits. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, it's but it's working. OU and Clemson, both in the top 10. Um, you, can, you can doubt that, but... Like it's kind of it's kind of funny that it's kind of funny the timing of all that you know that quote that you know went viral over the weekend shout out unnecessary yeah. roughness for getting that thing going but that was a quote all the way back from the month of March or, or late yeah. March early April so it's no coincidence that OU's having the biggest recruiting weekend of the year and something like that you know surfaces so and, and almost the, feels all like the, the accusations USC hit piece. yeah all the accusations that have come out recently because suddenly OU's surging in recruiting so haters want to hate and basically um, you know sling mud essentially and i guess that means you're you're doing the right thing so guys i was curious to get your thoughts with obviously all the excitement about defense recruiting <clears throat> any question marks on offensive recruiting clearly not the same offensive flash firepower uh recruiting that we've seen in the past clearly we all knew that defense recruiting needed to improve but looking at kind of comparison we spoke about this uh, a few weeks ago adam kind of the balance of the class it's dramatically tipped towards a defensive heavy class now and looks to only be continuing to do so if commits continue to fall on board. Do we have questions about offensive recruiting? I don't. Um, I mean, we're definitely not in 2019 anymore where, yes, Lincoln Riley was able to you know fulfill the number six overall ranked recruiting class, but a large part of that was due to the fact that he had a five-star quarterback and three five-star wide receivers. So you're seeing the – um, the I guess the wealth of talent um, spread out across this roster, and you know, Corbin, you I think you make a pretty good point when you go down and you look at this. Uh, you know, the 19 commitments that are part of this class right now, uh, of the 19, three are the defensive line, four linebackers, uh, and then two defensive backs. So um, I think that from a number standpoint, I mean, quarterback, uh, running back, offensive line, I think OU is probably done. At this point in the recruiting cycle, I think the wide receiver is another position or it is a position where I think that they're going to be looking to take at least one more, maybe two um, from everything that we have seen in red. It sounds like Anthony Evans, um, four star wide receiver. That is the final piece of that wide receiver class. Hopefully we can get an announcement from him in the next month or so. Um, but, you know, I, I think that what's been what's been the biggest struggle at OU over the last five to six years, what's cost us winning national championships at least two of those years. It's been the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the front seven. So seeing Miguel Chavis, Bates, Venables, prioritizing those position groups on this team, 
I'm, I have absolutely no problem with it whatsoever. OU is going to be able to continue to recruit on the offensive side of the football, um, especially once Jeff Levy starts calling plays and OU starts winning football games. I'm curious, like, what areas you want better recruits offensively? Like, I, I look at this, and I know Jacquez Petaway, he's ranked uh, 55th nationally by 247. I think that might be... Yeah, that's their composite rankings. So yeah. he's pretty highly ranked. I don't think that he's gotten enough attention, mainly because a few days after he committed was Caden Green and PJ Adabore, who I think is a little bit more mm. interesting just in the fact of we don't get edge rushers like those. And now we're getting even more defensive guys committing. It's just been kind of a flood of defensive commits lately. But offensively, you've got a five-star composite quarterback in Jackson Arnold. You've got you know a top 100 uh, Jacquez Petaway. Uh, Dalen Smothers is just outside of the top 250 according to uh, 247 composite. And I think running backs too, like that's an area Lincoln Riley with Jay Bulware never really got too many you know high-end guys there. And I think running backs too is an area where you could have some mid-tiered ranked guys like Kennedy Brooks that you know. Maybe they're not the highest ranked guy, but they're just as productive as anyone in college. So, I, offensive line, I guess you could say, yeah, there should there's too many That's three right stars the there. Okay. Yes. Well, so, I mean, did, I don't know. It didn't feel like we were ever close with any yeah. particular four stars that we missed out on that we're right there with. Well, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, of the four offensive linemen that are part of this class right now, Caden Green, you know, by far and away you know, the most talented, the most highly ranked recruit in this prospect, you know, being kind of on the verge of five-star status, uh, depending on the type of senior year that he has. But just looking at the other three um, that round out this position group, I mean, all three of them, according to 247 Sports, they're all ranked outside of the top 450 overall recruits in this class. So um, not to take anything away from, you know, Bates, uh, Ozida, and, you know, Logan Howland, um, because there's obviously something there that Jeff Levy and Bill Beanbow see potential in those guys well under the right coaching staff under the right strength and conditioning staff they can elevate those guys from three stars into you know being really good solid players uh, at a place like Oklahoma and you know guys let's not forget too I mean Orlando Brown Cody Ford Bobby Evans those weren't high four-star you know five-star guys I mean you get you you develop these guys in the weight room the right coach which we all know how good Bill Beanbow is um, there's opportunity there for sure Get them, Adam. <laughs> I don't know. I, you can sit there and, and cherry pick your three-star guys that developed, but we know that those rules are not you know, always the best to follow. I, I will say, yeah, there's probably some more grace on the offensive line. I think it's probably a harder position to, to scout and to project just because um, it's not like running back where you just give them the ball and run. Um, there's a lot more to it. They definitely have to develop their bodies a lot once they get to college, and it's very rare to see a guy jump in true freshman or even redshirt freshman usually takes a couple of years before they get up to, um, you know, being an impact guy. But yeah, I, I would like to see some higher ranked guys there, but at the same time, like who's the closest one that we were really in the running for was maybe like Peyton Kirkland. And because he didn't commit, we didn't want him anyway. He wasn't good enough. All the cliches there, but I mean, who else would have been close that we were even in the running for? Or or were these guys that Beanbow specifically targeted and said, these I think are the best four? And well, it feels to me like we'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. My my question would be, why aren't we in on more high end guys? This is Oklahoma. We're a few years away from winning the, um, oh, what's the offensive line award? The Joe Moore Award. Like, we're not that far off that. Why are we not in on more high end guys? And that's the question. I think if we have a knock on Beanbow and, 
yes, you could say potentially Lincoln Riley had an effect on this as far as potential recent recruiting over the past few years. Like that's been his knock. And we haven't necessarily brought in the most high end guys when everything on paper says we should be doing so. So I think that's where there's room for improvement if I look at this class. But guys, if you're going just off like star rankings and um, things like this, and I'm only looking at rivals, it's it's on the top. Yes, there are certainly Jackson Arnold, certainly Jaques Petaway, Caden Green. But after that, it's heavy, heavy defense. And there's a significant mm-hmm. drop off with a lot of those three stars that are on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm not sounding the alarm or anything like that. But I do think it would be nice to see a little bit of uplift moving forward. Hopefully, Levy and company, once they start showing their product on the field, that will change. More high-end offensive linemen will become interested in the University of Oklahoma again. Um, but that's something moving forward. It goes back to your point, Tyler. It's great to have all of these strong defensive linemen, this front seven. That's what we're going to need in the SEC. Well, that's what we're going to be going up against in the SEC, too. So if you don't have a strong offensive line play, you're going to get eaten alive. We see that pretty frequently um, with the haves and the haves nots of college football. If you cannot protect, if you cannot give your quarterback time to get rid of the ball, you stand no chance. And so it doesn't matter how good your defense is. So you yeah, stop to score points in today's college football, and that's still going to be the case moving forward for years to come. And I definitely don't want this segment to, you know, come across as, you know, while the recruiting class is so good from top to bottom, you know, with this 2023 that Venables has been able to put together. I mean, I, I don't want us to sit here and make it sound like we're ragging on the offensive linemen that we've got in this class right, right now because we're, we're not. But you also have to, you know, call a spade a spade. The level of offensive linemen recruits that we're getting right now compared to Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, even Texas A&M, throw those guys in there as well. It's a different level. So we're going to have to figure out a way to raise our game in terms of being able to get those highly ranked guys uh, here in Norman because that's going to be the biggest difference maker. You can't bank on taking two or three three stars a year and hoping that those guys are just going to pan out you know, based on you know coaching. You might get one, but chances are it's a low percentage uh, chance. But And then, guys, one last point on this, and I'll throw this over to you, Adam, for, for the last question on this. What's, what's the common factor that the offensive line – was so good in 16, 17, Joe Moore Award winner in 2018. Once you started going 19, 20, 21, and even 2022, once you started uh, once you started having to plug and play guys that were not a part of the Jerry Schmidt strength and conditioning development time, I think that that's where you're starting to see. And, and that was one of the biggest things t- today when looking at the local media day. That was one of um, my biggest takeaways when looking at what Brent Venable said. You know, it's not just uh, Schmitty during the summer or during the offseason developing these guys as, you know, size and strength. It's the mindset. It's getting them ready for battle, getting them ready to take on uh, the daunting schedule that uh, that lays in front of this team. So Jerry Schmidt being back, I think, is going to pay dividends as well. Not that we've said yeah. that before. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I do think with, you know, with a year of Jeff Levy, of his own offense, being able to point to his results and not have any Lane Kiffin clouding in that, you know, at Ole Miss, I think that will certainly help with, with the recruiting there. You know, as far as this class right now, they're usually ranked around seventh or, or sixth, depending on which site that you look at. Uh, there's there's a whole bunch of silent people saying silent locks at this point, you know, just like Brent Venables until they're public and committed. Who knows what could happen? And I think mm-hmm. getting Colton Vosick to commit so quickly after that visit, that helps a lot. I think he's probably on my my biggest watch still just as far as a flip status, um, simply because of everything that OU had to, you know, go against the tide with him to, to get him to commit to Norman. But, um, you know, you look at what could possibly come, you know, a lot of chatter about David Hicks, a lot of chatter about Jordan Renaud, Jacoby Johnson, 
Uh, he's kind of weird. I don't know why he hasn't committed at this point. Dude's from Mustang. Like, come on, man. Um, I know you have some okay preps problem, but uh, he's not in Tulsa. It's Mustang. So um, go ahead and make your way to Norman. And then uh, Macari Vickers, another one that everyone's expecting at this point to commit at the end of August. So the defense continues to get richer. And I, who knows where this class could end up? It looks like probably top five seems like a pretty safe bet. It's five, almost five to eight. Yeah. I'm not convinced I'm say, it's top five quite yet. I'm going to say three to five. I mean, it's almost at this point, I think it's a disappointment if this isn't a top five recruiting class, but I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to me, <clears throat> excuse me, um, what this staff has been able to do because essentially, you know, guys, they're getting the results of this recruiting class based off their ability basically to just sell their vision to these kids on what this program is going to look like at Oklahoma. They haven't coached a game. And, you know, here we are on August 2nd at eight o'clock with the number six overall class in the country and a realistic shot at, you know, maybe even a top three or even a top two class um, if the dominoes continue to fall in the Sooners direction. I think it, it to get into a top five where you feel safe, I think, yes, it depends on how many of these silent commits actually commit, but it's also who can make a shift in the rankings. Um, we talked about that a few weeks back. There has to be a few guys, a few of these three stars bump up to four, a few of these four stars bump up to five. If that happens, then I can start getting into like, okay, this is a comfortable top five class, but that hasn't happened yet. And Rivals is my go-to. I know you guys look everywhere, but Rivals is kind of my rule of thumb. And so their rankings, I think, come out this month, their updated rankings. Um, and so if that happens, then, okay, we can start to have that top five conversation. But as things stand now, knowing everybody else is going to continue recruiting as well, the big-time names are going to continue to pull in big-time guys, I'm kind of feeling that five to eight. If rankings change, I'll, I'll shift my tone. Yeah, I'm kind of right in between you guys. I feel like four to six. I'm, I don't want to be overly optimistic and say all these guys are going to become four stars. I think there's just there's so many three stars in this class that are going to weigh it down just a little bit. I know mm-hmm. the way that classes are measured, sometimes those guys start getting um, you know disincluded in the in the process of calculating the best class. Usually, it's just the top twenty players. So Debbie Downer over here. <laughs> hey, four six is, is pretty solid. That's better than I think anything Lincoln Riley ever did. Um, so uh, twenty nineteen, I think it was number six. <laughs> I'll I'll give you a a small bit of of optimism here. A lot of pictures from this weekend came uh, in the alternate uniforms, the bring the wood uniforms. Mm -hmm. And I know everyone kind of wants to move on from that. I do too. I'm I'm ready for something different or maybe just not at all because the traditional uniform is amazing. I hate to waste two games a year on, you know, these, these crazy ones, but we saw the all crimson alternates, something we haven't seen since OU lost in those jerseys and combination back in 2017. This time with the all crimson cleats and socks, I'm, I'm thinking it's not too bad. I, I would give it a shot. How do you guys feel? Which helmet? Uh, I think it was all crimson everywhere, head to toe. I hate it. <laughs> I, I'm a tra- I'm a traditional guy. I mean, I'm old school. I believe that there's probably three to four programs in America that the their home and away uniform is so good. It's so rich in tradition. You should never go to an alternate uniform. The all white OU away uniform is the best uniform in college football, bar none. So mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like seeing the the bring the wood variations. You know, the all red. The you know the they call it crimson and cream, but it's more like a washed out cream that, that makes its way onto the yeah. field, you know, at least once a year. So no, I'm, I'm a traditional, keep it, keep it home but, and away, keep it out. All but if is. you had to wear an alternate, like, I don't, it looks it, better than mixing it wasn't in the black ugly. accessories I mean, it's, in my opinion. 
I mean, it's. Uh, I feel like I was watching uh, a Louisville or an Indiana or just something like that. I don't know. I'm just yeah. not a fan of it. It's yeah. weird seeing OU in red pants. I agree. Like I, it, I would. Your, I would love your to eyes would go straight to the pants, Tyler. Length and girth is probably <laughs> there is eye. no length. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition over here to media days. A whole lot of uh, eh, not a whole lot of interesting things, I guess, coming out of media days. Brent Venables was a little bit more subdued. Uh, Did he today. not have his coffee or his Redline Energy Drink? Or that was, yeah, that was kind of weird. He, I mean, he had a long recruiting weekend, and it, it looks like it's paid off for him. So I'll, I'll give him a, yeah. a pass on this week. Not a whole lot of interesting things there. But uh, Tyler, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier. I think Andrew Rame had the best quote. I'll let you read it off. Yeah, uh, Andrew Rame, um, and just, you know, kind of a sidebar interview that he was doing with a couple of reporters. Um, honestly, kind of the quote of the day for me, uh, saying that as an offensive lineman, we're stronger in six months than we were in the last two years. So uh, I put it out on Twitter earlier, like, what were we, what was Benny Wiley and the strength and conditioning staff doing? I mean, uh, I think it was Andrew Rame that we, I think he went on 94.7 the ref last week, and he talked about the fact that, you know, prior to, Schmitty getting here, there were only two offensive linemen that could bench press 320 pounds. And now everybody in that room can rep 320. So it's amazing what can happen, you know, if you've got the right guy in place, what that can do for the, you know, the strength and development of your of your athletes that are part of your football team. But I mean, that, that, that's what gives me confidence about this offensive line, because I know that the talent is there. Uh, but now that we're able to, you know, improve the size, the strength and, you know, kind of the mental makeup of this group. I think uh, we'll we'll be able to start running the football a little bit better, and that's something that if you listen to Jeff Levy today, that's going to be a huge emphasis for this team going into the end of this year. Yeah, it's really amazing. I think the the more we get removed from Lincoln Riley, and the more things are set out in the open, the more it makes sense of why the team struggled the way they struggled over the past few seasons. Um, I don't know if we could pinpoint it then, like we can now. It's like we, we knew like, okay, there's something missing here. There's something up. There's something obviously like that's just not what we're used to being, you know, in Oklahoma watching football all of our lives or something off here. But now you're starting to hear not only from like media, but you're hearing from the players, the specific answers of like, this is why we didn't perform up to expectations. And that's, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, Another th- uh, key point that I heard uh, Jalen Redman up to 300 pounds, says he moves yeah. better at 300 than he did at 280. That's just a scary thought. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. I think Redmond should be a top three-round pick if he meets his potential. Yeah. So mm-hmm. hopefully he can unlock this uh, that this year. Another quote from a uh, OU defender, Billy Bowman, he said that the defense is tired of being the reason why they haven't gone to the next level. And uh, I think Jay Valai added that that's been the driving force for the defense this offseason. To yeah. me, that was kind of an interesting one because last year's defense didn't live up to expectations. They weren't great, but they were okay enough, in my opinion. Like they had some good moments, they, they did some good things. And that team overall was so broken that it wasn't like, oh, the defense is what's holding this team back. And Billy Bowman being a true freshman last year, that's interesting that the stigma is still kind of there, especially when you have a transition in staff. You've got, you know, the ace in Brent Venables coming in to help lead the defense. I thought that was interesting. So I wonder if there's still some mentality that they're trying to rid themselves of, or or maybe they feel like they still have to prove something. Chip on the shoulder. Sometimes you got to find it, you know? Yeah. 
So um, this, this coaching staff could also come in and say, Hey, that's the past. Like, we're not talking about that anymore. Like this is different now. Like you guys have a clean slate. You could say the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all perspective and what gets the guys going. And yeah. I thought Jay Vila had an interesting point is like not being the, the butt in the sentence um, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, OU has such a great offense, national championship level offense, but there's the defense. And so I thought, it, I, yeah, I thought it was really interested interesting to kind of hear that perspective. And again, coaching staff could have gone a million different ways of mm-hmm. either wipe the slate clean or like, let's use the past and everything that's said about you to motivate you. They decided to go this way and we'll see if it pays off. Change of scenery can be a good thing. And I think that the biggest thing um, for this defense is just the vote of confidence that they've got, that they have to have just by knowing the track record of Venables and Bates, Ted, uh, you know, Ted Roof and the staff, uh, it's got to make them feel a lot better knowing that they're they are now going to be one coached hard, coached properly, but they're also going to be coached by guys that have a proven track record and have done this at a national championship level. So um, I think that this is a, a really good thing moving forward. And yeah, I, I think what you said is true, Adam. I think that Billy Bowman, them taking it personally, Jay Valai reiterating the fact that you know that's that's bulletin board material. That stuff that they've been talking about all offseason, Oklahoma defense, particularly the secondary, not being the reason why Oklahoma doesn't win a game, not having to rely on the offense to outscore uh, the, the other team because we can't get a stop. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a big takeaway, and I fully expect this defense, even though there, I think that there will be some growing pains early on, I think that this will be a much better defense uh, this season than we saw a year ago. Absolutely. So next week, we're going to do a more deep dive into each position group as uh, we kind of do our, our fall camp breakdown. So I'm sure we'll, we'll ask some some burning questions about each of these position groups, but uh, that'll be for, for a discussion for next week. So let's go ahead and dive into a quick breakdown of the schedule. We really haven't talked in depth about uh, the schedule for OU. It's one that I think is quite manageable. There's There's only a few games that I think are really concerning and uh, a concern that has been about this team in Lincoln Riley years was, hey, there's just going to be an upset. We don't know where it's just going to happen in a team we don't expect because they're not focused, they're not always prepared, so on and so forth. So you've always got that there. But now going forward with Brent Venables, details matter. Everything matters. Accountability matters. So I guess in your guys' perspective, you know, what games are you most concerned about? Most concerned about, most looking forward to. How, how do you? Well, I guess just most concerned about. Like, is yeah. it, it, what do you think is going to be the most challenging game on the schedule? Obviously, you got Texas, but is there is there anything else that jumps off the page to you? Nebraska think, early, right? It has to be. Uh, new coaching staff, new quarterback, and is not great as Nebraska's been lately. It's still a tough place to play when that crowd's into it. So. That has to be kind of the make or break of where the season's going to go when you have that type of environment on the road with all the things that this program has endured over the offseason. That seems like it's going to, the season's going to sway one way or another based on that game. To me, that's what sticks out easily. I think Nebraska, I think that's the obvious answer. Um, You know, week three, the first real test of the season. Oh, by the way, it's on the road in front of 85,000, you know, crazy Cornhusker fans inside Memorial Stadium, you know. Uh, Casey Thompson, a quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, you know, that's going to be the biggest, most um, hostile crowd he's ever played in front of uh, in his time. So good luck, young man. Um, Scott Frost coaching for his job for what seems like the third year in a row. I I think it's Baylor, um, honestly, and my nervous level for that game is going to be entirely predicated upon how good is Blake Shapin. 
Um, we know they're going to be really good up front on both sides of the ball. They return a ton of productivity. I think that if I'm correct, they return all five starting offensive linemen and they return two of the three uh, guys part, part of the up front on the defensive side of the ball. Um, we know Dave Aranda, he's a defensive mastermind. Uh, he's going to have that unit ready to go come week 10. So if, if Baylor can fill a couple of holes uh, at the skill position group and get good quarterback play from Shapin, that game in Norman on November 5th, I know we talked about a little bit earlier in the offseason, Adam, that it, it's kind of a realistic chance Baylor comes walking into Norman undefeated or at least one, maybe one loss. So that's going to be a big-time challenge for the Sooners if uh, Aranda and Shapin uh, can get it figured out early. It's something that we also discussed about Iowa State this time last year. And I think the same thing for that game, for this game too, is that the Big 12 kind of did a disservice here because mm-hmm. oftentimes a team like Baylor, a team like Iowa State can't last you know, undefeated all the way through uh, November. Yeah. And so maybe that game should have been a little bit earlier on the schedule, potentially. Maybe it would have been a little bit bigger. We'll see. Give, yeah. give me – or go ahead, Corbin. Yeah, if we're talking about a game that maybe scares me, like Nebraska is the biggest concern early on. The game that scares me, actually, Tyler, is right after Baylor, and it's going to Morgantown in between Baylor and Oklahoma State, both at home. That one, if you're talking about a sleeper game, upset, like guys maybe not quite there, sandwiched in between two tougher games, that's one where it's like if the season goes according to plan up to that point at West Virginia seems to be like just a trap game waiting to happen. Yeah, I'm not sold on Neil Brown or JT Daniels. And I mean, Oklahoma's never lost to Morgantown, knock on wood. So I don't feel we've quite lost about the worst it. Teams, I th- we've lost the worst teams, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Kansas State is another one for me, uh, just because there's going to be so many storylines behind that game. You know, thankfully it is in Norman, but you've got Adrian Martinez transferring in for the Wildcats, uh, who played pretty well against Oklahoma a year ago, played well enough for them to win that game. Uh, but then you've also got the storylines of, you know, Venables being a former K State linebacker. Uh, an alum playing against his uh, team that he used to play for. Uh, and that's kind of sandwiched guys too, you know, that w- which we'll talk about here in a second. But that Kansas State matchup, that's sandwiched in between road trips to Lincoln, Nebraska, and to Fort Worth to take on TCU. Nobody really knows what to expect of the Horn Frogs this year with Sonny Cumbie, Max Duggan, Chandler Morris, who's going to be quarterback. They got a lot of players. Uh, they got a lot of talented players out wide. Um, but yeah, Kansas State is a sneaky one for me. Um, I think that that's going to be one where Oklahoma's going to going to get a good test. K State was my uh, toughest one, just being right after Nebraska like that. Mm-hmm. Is you it guys fair look for, at? Go ahead. Is it fair for Texas to just automatically be in that number one, that number one spot in your opinion, just because of you know the track record with that game, because of how evenly matched you know the teams are with yeah. talent. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. Now, now Texas is the last game of the first half of the schedule. Uh, you've got your non-conference games. You got K State at home at TCU, Texas, and Dallas. Then uh, the second half of the schedule: Kansas at home at Iowa State, Baylor at home at West Virginia, Oklahoma State at home, Texas Tech on the road to uh, end the season. Do you think one half of these schedules is tougher than the other? I think it's got to be the first half of the season for me um, for a handful of reasons. New staff, uh, a lot of players on this roster brand new. Uh, BV mentioned it again today, 40% of this roster has never suited up and played in an Oklahoma uniform before. Um, you've got the first two weeks of the season, UTEP and Kent State at home, to essentially get things ironed out, get yourself ready to go. Because, you know, guys, that four-game stretch from September 17th to October, uh, to October 8th, Pretty brutal at Nebraska, K-State, at TCU, okay, and finish things off uh, with the Texas Longhorns down inside the Cotton Bowl. So I think that even though UTEP and Kent State are, you know, kind of cakewalks if this team plays well, 
that four game stretch to close out the first half of the season. That's pretty tough. I, agree. I would lean towards that as well, but I don't think it's like a huge gap um, at Iowa State, at West Virginia, at Tech, and then home versus Baylor and Oklahoma State. That's Good not point. easy. Um, yeah. And if you talk, if you if you were to pinpoint three places that you're like that fan base on the road can make a difference, it's those three: um, Iowa State, West Virginia, Tech. So. I would lean towards the earlier half of the season as well, but I don't think it's by like a huge margin. I think that that's a really good point too, Carbon. And you you mentioned the fact Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, three teams, pretty talented, but they're also breaking in brand new quarterbacks. So if those guys can you know get their feet underneath them, those are three road trips where OU is going to you know that, that's going to be a tough test. Lubbock's always tough. West Virginia is always a crazy atmosphere. Um, in Iowa State, we all know. Um, what it's like on the uh, – thankfully, that game was moved from Thursday to a Saturday. Uh, yeah. It's never fun for a team to spend Thursday night names. So, But, yeah, I've got to go first first part of the season. Yeah. I think it's a very balanced schedule. Uh, it's very uh, possible and I think realistic that OU should say, hey, we can go undefeated against this schedule. Like, we'll have more talent than pretty much everybody we play. Uh, we'll be favored in pretty much every game. There's no crazy stretches of you know road games. It's it's very navigatable. So we'll be talking a lot more in depth about expectations for the Sooners. Let's go ahead and jump into Mount Rushmore, our final segment of the series that we've been doing so far. That's right, Adam. Mount Rushmore, we have been uh, going through the offensive position groups over the past few weeks. Uh, this week, we're actually just going to go defense as a whole and I want to remind everybody, this is from 2000 on, so don't send us you know, tweets of Selmans and things like that. We know they'd clearly be on this list. So simply from 2000 to 2022, uh, which I don't know about you guys, it was a lot harder to dive through every defensive player for 20 years, 22 years than I thought. Uh, so maybe, maybe we should have switched this up a little bit. Uh, but we're rolling with it. A big question before we start. Is there anybody since 2015 that is in your top 12. Anybody like to me, I think everybody was before that on my list. Uh, I don't think I can give, I don't think I can give I anything two. away yet. Yeah. I've got two. I'll just give you that. All right. That sounds good. All right, Tyler, you are leading us off this week with the number one overall pick. Very curious to see which direction you go. This is probably the worst category where you can have the number one overall pick. Um, oh my God. What do I want to do here? Um, I'm going to start on the defensive line. Um, Got to have some beef up front, and there's no better player within the last 20 years to start your team with on the defensive line than the 2002 Lombardi Trophy winner, and that is Mr. Tommy Harris. Um, so, yeah, easy pick for me, no-brainer. Uh, wish I would have had that three and four pick, though. So, Corbin, what do you got, man? I got Tommy Harris leading it off. Adam is, is second here. Yeah, right. I, I, I pick number two. All right, all right. I was surprised you went with Tommy Harris. Good pick. I don't think that there's Adam, is your computer many... charged, by the way, before we get through with this? <laughs> it is charged. It is charged. I, I am surprised that you went there. I'm going to go with Roy Williams. I think he's probably yes. the best defender that uh, this you know Sooner era has seen since that 2000 mark. Um, nine interceptions, 269 tackles, You know Thorpe Award, Nagurski Award. Um, the dude's got a trophy case, and um, mm -hmm. he was just incredible, absolutely dominating teams uh, in that 2001 uh, season for sure. So uh, I'm going to go with Roy Williams. Was that one Roy and two Williams. for everybody? Because that was my one and two. Yeah, That's that was my one and two as well. All right, so we're all on the same page there. So three for me, uh, Gerald McCoy. 
39 consecutive starts, number three overall pick in the draft, All-American honors in 08 and 09. Uh, again, starting up front, get the big guys. Uh, that's who I've got for my first pick. I'll follow that up going to the secondary. Um, I'm going to go Derek Strait. 14 career interceptions, uh, started 53 games, 53 passes broken up. Nagurski and Thorpe award winner in 03. Um, very pleased with my three and four picks in this. Not bad. Straight was my number thought, three. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You guys had him higher than I did. I thought he might, I might get him as a steal later on. Um, Hell not no, Adam. Case. Put some respect <laughs> on his name, Adam. Uh, I'm going to, well, I, I thought I was going to get him as a steal. Um, I still valued him a lot. I'm going to go with Rocky Kalmus here. This was interesting for me. I did not expect him to uh, have such a, a you know, high body of work. Now he did play for four years. So that helps 431 tackles, 14 sacks as a linebacker. Um, that's higher than a lot of defensive linemen have done in their career. Three interceptions, you know, the leader of a defense, a guy that um, really helped carry that team to a national championship in 2000. So I'm going Rocky countless. So far, all of my picks are in exact order. All of the picks are in exact order of how I've had them. Yep. So I'm very uh, impressed. Yeah. That's a good one as well. Um, <clears throat> gosh, Okay, I'm going back-to-back back here, so I've already got a defensive lineman. i, I got to get a linebacker, so I'm going with the two-time All-American. 2003 Butkus Award winner. Let me go with big big number 11, Teddy Lehman, uh, the other member of that Red River duo uh, to, to round out Roy Williams, sacking Chris, Chris Sims. So, yeah, g- give me Teddy with my second pick. And this is where it's going to be tough because I have a feeling number four is going to be slim pickings for me on this one. Um God, what do I want to do here? I'm making a suggestion. Buki could I, be an option. He is on the board. Five well, star. I've got, I'm between him and Brian Mead <laughs> at this point right now. Um, I, I hate doing that. I'm, I'm sorry, Brian. Um, I'm going to go defensive back on this one, and I'm not sure how high this guy's going to be on your list. I'm going to go Brandon Everidge from 99 to 2003. Kind of an under-the-radar guy. Maybe he didn't get as much praise because he shared the secondary with Derek Strait, with Roy Williams. But mm-hmm. in terms of a corner – kind of hard to, to find anything or anyone better in the last 20 years than Derek Strait or for then Brandon Everidge. Quarterback in high school. Quarter, there you go. There you go. Yep. So Brandon Everidge, number three for myself. There you go. It's the mm. first one that's been out of line on my list. Yeah, I think this is the area where it gets kind of to be just kind of all over the place. It's hard. It's a lot harder to judge some of these guys. Um, <laughs> I think... I will go with. I think I'll go with Dan Cody here. Whoa, um, a guy with twenty-five career sacks, um, an absolute yep. terror at that defensive end position. It, you know, so many of these guys were great between two thousand two thousand eight or so, yep. and I don't know. I always hate trying to compare eras. I wonder what they would be like in today's game, but Dan Cody was just exceptional in the yep. era that he played in. So. I knew going over this many years, I was going to forget a couple names. That was one I didn't have on my list, which clearly should have been. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that a little embarrassed on my end. All right, so three and four for me. Um, again, a lot of different directions you could go. Uh, I'm going to go Jeremy Beal. Mm-hmm. Um, Big time name. Again, maybe didn't quite get the love that he probably deserved, you look at a guy with 29 sacks, seven forced fumbles, about you know 59 tackles for loss. Really impressive OU career. Um, and the next guy I'm going to go for maybe a little bit of alternative reasons. I know he should be totally defensive focused, but he's still a player on the team who maybe had some different roles. So 
Antonio Perkins is my oh. final pick. Yes, sir. 11 career interceptions, nine career TDs, one of those being interception, eight of those being on punt return. So, uh, you know, bumping up the secondary a little bit, but got a little special teams in there too. I, I thought I was going to have like I didn't, a, I didn't have him on my pick. list. I never thought about that. I think of him as a special teams guy for, for whatever yeah. reason. So, I, I mean, I he was like top 15 in uh, career interceptions for an OU player. Like, He's no slouch. Mm-hmm. He wasn't all American like Derek Strait, but yeah, dude, dude could play. So, yep. yeah. All right. I've got a safety. I've got a linebacker. And I get a defensive lineman. And of course, there's no rules in this. We don't actually have to balance this, uh, this lineup at all. Um, so, but I have a pretty balanced lineup, so I could pretty much go in any direction. And really, I'm just stalling right now because I'm not, sure, I'm not <laughs> sure where to go. Matt um, Diamond. Ah. <laughs> uh, I think I think I will go with a guy that we saw on the field today, actually, Tony Jefferson. Uh, he's back with uh, the Ravens, go. I think. On the, I don't yep. know if he's on the practice squad or what. Nice uh, interception played, video. Played three years uh, in Norman, 258 tackles, seven sacks, eight, eight interceptions, three of which came in one game. Um, the dude was probably the closest thing that we saw to Roy Williams after uh, he had gone on to the NFL. So. Tony Jefferson, uh, just a really all-around uh, playmaker for the Sooners. Ooh, okay. Um, last pick for me. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm sitting pretty good here. i got four linebackers left, a defensive back, and one defensive lineman. So it'll be fun to talk about honorable mentions. Um, similar to you, Adam, I've, I've already got one at all three levels of the defense. So I'm going to go with the best overall player on my list. And I'm going to go linebacker. I'm going to go with Curtis Lofton, um, guy that does not get enough recognition. Um, we all know, you know when you talk about the all-time greats at linebacker at Oklahoma, you know, the Selmans, you know, Bosworth, uh, uh, Layman, Kalmus, you got to throw Curtis Lofton in that conversation as well. One of the most decorated players to wear the crimson and cream playing linebacker in the in the uh, mid-2000s. So give me Curtis Lofton, a uh, member of the Soul Mission, as a matter of fact, here in Norman right now. So Great player, but he really had one year yeah. where he was at an elite, elite level. Like yeah, we're all on the same page there, correct? I, I agree, but it might have been the best year out of any of these linebackers that Very we've possible. talked about so far, which is yeah. how do you judge that? That's that makes it real yeah. tough. It's a hard still, thing to do. Still in Chase Daniels' nightmares. Has to be. Oh <laughs> man, what a game. Yeah. What a performance. Yeah. Both of them. So who, who did yep. you guys have who did you guys have left? Start starting to before, before we go left? that recent guys that may have made your list. Is there anybody? I had two, I think. I had Kenneth Murray, who I didn't have him on there. I didn't have was, him. I had Obo Okoronkwo. I, I had Obo. 18 different guys on my list. And I had Nick Benito. His stats are actually pretty solid. I had Benito yeah. and I had Eric Stryker a little bit further I had Stryker down my as list well, as yeah. well. 22 um, and a half sacks. I mean, yeah. that's pretty good. One of How, the DBs uh, okay, that I had. Uh, the only other defensive lineman that I had, uh, I had Dusty on there. I had Dusty. I actually had Calvin Thibodeau. His stats were pretty solid. Um, and I had Austin English on there, kind of like a if yeah. needed. Uh-huh. Wait, yeah. pick type of deal. Frank about, Alexander was another one on there for me. I couldn't justify it. Not after looking over his stats. How about uh, Travis Lewis? 446 yeah. career tackles. I think he's yeah. number, Jeez. he's like top three in OU history. Mm-hmm. Kind of underappreciated. Um, 28. You know, not, 28. Yeah. Uh, you he, got him. I had uh, Ruben, the secondary. Huh? Aaron, Aaron Colvin. How about him? I had Aaron Colvin. Yeah. I didn't I have him. Positions. I had Brodney Poole, though. Yeah, kind of a, a, a 
lesser name as far as like OU hierarchy, but like looking at his stats, like really solid. I had a harder time finding some of these guys' stats. Maybe I was looking at the wrong spot. I think that this is going to be really, really tough for people to vote on. I mean, I think that this is a really solid four that each of us have came out with here. Um, Yep. Which Adam, it was tough finding stats for anything on the defensive side of the ball up until like 2007 and eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you started seeing like there were sites that had produced that stuff. But before that, it made it really hard to, I was just going off of awards and what I remember. And that was 22 years ago for some of this stuff. So, uh, you know, it it was hard to find, which I find shocking in today's age that, you know, stats were difficult to come across. I actually had to flip open my 2015 OU football media guide to, to try to find a few stats on, on striker. But no, I think that this is really, really good. I'm excited, Adam, you've got this, uh, pretty cool graphic um, that you've created. So I'm excited for uh, be able to put this full list together, all positions and we'll let the, we'll let the listeners and the fans vote on it on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, make sure you vote for Adam. Uh, and so we'll have that out on Twitter at least sometime this week. And so make sure to uh, give us a follow on Twitter. So you don't miss that. Follow us on YouTube. You can find us by searching the mainline podcast. And we of course always appreciate anyone that uh, gives us a review five stars, of course, on mm-hmm. uh, Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, make sure to subscribe as well. Uh, next week we'll have the full breakdown of every position group as fall camp will have be about roughly five days in at that point. And so mm-hmm. uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. It's here about. guys. I can't believe it's it. here. Yeah. Although at the same time, this is like the slowest time. It feels like an absolute crawl to that first game. So uh, we'll help get you there a little bit faster. (laughs) Week zero, that's right. So until then, I appreciate you listening uh, to the Mainline Podcast.